Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. This show is sponsored in part by Sailrite. Since 1969, Sailrite has been equipping self-sufficient sailors with tools, supplies, and knowledge they need to sew for their boats. This second-generation family business is also the maker of the Sailrite Ultrafeed sewing machine. The Ultrafeed is a portable, heavy-duty sewing machine that was designed to handle all your maritime sewing projects from sails to covers. At Sailrite, you'll find everything you need to take on your next do-it-yourself project, including fabric, tools, hardware, and even hundreds of free how-to video tutorials. Start your next project at Sailrite.com. That's S-A-I-L-R-I-T-E dot com. Well, today I'm going to be talking with Dave Baird. He's a sailor from Canada, but before we get to that, I need to review a couple emails that I got from listeners from Christina Davies. She wrote a question and a request. She says, hello, I found your podcast a few months ago and have enjoyed listening to them. We are currently based in the UK, looking at getting a boat in the future. My question, do you have any recommendations if I wanted to do some sailing classes somewhere in the med or do a charter in the med? There are so many out there. Christine, I really can't help you on this. Uh, Exactly what you said, there's so many. Somebody probably should do a review on them. That takes time and effort. It's beyond my uh, my interest and ability to do that. Uh, I'd probably go on to places, uh, some some discussion boards, and ask opinions. And we have had guests on this podcast that have chartered from various companies, but I couldn't tell you those companies off the top of my. Most of them have had good experiences, so you might go back and make notes from the people we talked to that did charters uh, in Greece. And, you know, contact those companies. But I will say this. If, if I were to go over there and want to do sailing classes, I would probably choose the Ionian islands of Greece. They have a lot of flotillas, and it's easy to learn with a flotilla. They'll usually put somebody that knows how to sail on a boat with you and maybe four or five other people, and he will teach you how to sail. He'll make you sail the boat. Uh, but he'll be there to make sure you don't make any too major mistakes. You're always going to make mistakes when you're learning to sail, but that's how you learn. That would be my recommendation. And there's a a lot of flotillas based in uh, Corfu, uh, Previsa, uh, Lefkas, Nidri. Those are going to be the main bases. And then there's a couple others that I've run into when I've sailed around the Ionians. But there's lots of charter bases in the Ionians, and it's really popular to do the flotilla charters to learn how to sail. So that's, as far as any specific company, I don't have any recommendations. And then you said, my request, would you consider doing an episode or two on catamarans in the med? I know you don't sail a cat, but more and more people are interested in them. I have heard that it is more difficult to have a cat in the med, but I have not heard why. Is it that harbors don't have room for a cat's width? Well, you hit the nail on the head right there. Personally, I find it irritating when cats come in. 
uh, because they'll take space for three boats to get one catamaran in, and a lot of the marinas are pretty damn crowded to begin with. Uh, so I, I like catamarans. I don't like them in Greece and in the Med because they are, in my opinion, big hogs, big boat hogs. <laughs> they might have two people on them, and they're taking the space that maybe eight or ten people would be using in other boats. But let me talk about catamarans. I just had a friend of mine that got back from a charter in Tahiti, and that's all I have in Tahiti, uh, at least with the moorings on Raiatea is catamarans. That's all they have out of that that yacht harbor now. Uh, catamarans would be great in the Caribbean. Wherever you can anchor is probably a better place to be looking at chartering on a cat. Now, I know women love cats because they don't heel over and they feel safer in a cat. So anyway, that's that's why you don't see a lot of catamarans in the med. You see plenty of them, and there's more coming all the time, but... It's already getting pretty damn crowded sailing around a lot of places in the med. And uh, the marinas, you're going to pay a lot more for a cat. A a lot of the marinas charge by the square meter. So it's not simply the length of the boat, but uh, uh, how how many square meters does the boat actually take up. And catamarans take up about three times the number of square meters for the length that a regular monohull will. All right, you wrote another letter, too. Let me read that one. And that question was, would you also consider doing a podcast on the sailing season in the med? For those of us thinking about the med, that would be helpful. Where to go, when not to go somewhere. If you wintered in the med, where would that be? Well, uh, okay, I've, I reached out to Jack Andrews' wife, Julia, and I'm trying to talk her into doing a podcast on the weather patterns of the Mediterranean and uh, we'll go from there with Julia if she decides to come on. I think she's agreed. Anyway, we'll do that when we can get Julia on the podcast. I'll give you a quick summary of my sailing season. I've been over as early as early May. In this podcast, we're going to be talking to David and he went over in April and he'll tell you what it was like in April. Cold Cold, cold. May's cold too, but not as cold as April. In Greece, in the Aegean, you can get southerlies in May, which is nice if you need to go north. You also can get some nasty storms in May. I've been in some terrible storms in May. And so, you know, it's it's a hit and miss proposition. June, the weather starts becoming more moderate, and the Maltimis start kicking in in the Aegean, in the Adriatic. The Northlies start kicking in. I've been as late as late September in Croatia, and again, in September, it got was getting really cold, and we were getting bad weather and rain a lot. So to me, I think the main sailing season is probably the middle of May to maybe the middle of September. I wouldn't really go much beyond either side of that, if if I have a choice, and I do. So that's what I would say about that. Now, as far as the weather patterns overall through the Mediterranean, there's different weather patterns by the area and the region you're sailing, and we're going to talk to Julia about that, hopefully in the near future. Then I got a great email from, and I'm going to butcher your name, Welcome Below. J-O-A-K-I-M-B-U-L-O-W. It's a Scandinavian name, so it's got a double 
dots over the U. Anyway, he says, thanks for the great podcast. I've really enjoyed listening to your voice talking about sailing during the long winters here in Sweden. I started listening over a year ago, about the same time as I bought a 32-foot Swedish sailing boat from Torreviejo, south of Alicante, Spain. Me and my part owners and a friend from the university are going to sail the Met for a bit this summer and then take the boat around the Atlantic coast up to Sweden. So you're going to be bringing the boat from Torreviejo near Alicante up to Sweden. Heard you mention on the podcast that you were in need of help when it comes to IT. I'm prepared to offer, free of course. There are things of importance that I can help you with in my spare time. I'm a professional IT engineer with focus on cloud infrastructure and security and are hosting websites and enterprise applications in the cloud for many small and mid-sized companies. Let me know, and thanks again for a great podcast. Joachim, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that, or Joachim. Uh, I really appreciate the reaching out, and as I need it, I will reach out to you with my 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 uh, requests. But I really appreciate you offering that. Then I got an email from Andrew Vick. Andrew Vick was a guest on the podcast in episode three, so it's out of the iTunes library. And he says, so cool that you're still at it. I'm mostly caught up and really enjoy most of your content. I don't expect everybody to enjoy all of it. I'm about to start my 10th summer aboard Gija, the Islander 36 that I bought in Pisa in 2008. I ended up in Troger, Croatia, after my inaugural summer and have been based there ever since. Not sure if you've sorted out your summer yet, but I did hear that you were considering a return to Dubrovnik for the winter of 2017 to 18. If you indeed return to Croatia, you may want to do what I did a few years ago, and that was to pay my Croatian VAT. They say that I no longer have to worry about VAT throughout the EU. And he says, to qualify for the Croatian VAT, the boat has to be old, and you have to prove that you've owned it for six years. I paid a 1.7% value on the declared value of my boat and a few hundred more euros for the agent. I was allowed to keep my USA flag. The customs folks in Croatia are very thorough, and my VAT paper and my VAT paperwork has satisfied them ever since. They say it's valid throughout the EU, but I'll believe it when I see it. And then he goes on to say, if you return to Croatia, forbid, forget Dubrovnik. The marina is far from the airport and in the middle of nowhere and expensive. I've just moved into a swanky new marina Troger, not ACI. I prepaid for two years at their introductory 50% off special. They're still offering 30% off. It's not far from the center of Troger, and Split Airport is just 10 minutes away by Uber. Lots of flights into Split, even quite a few Star Alliance partners. And he gave me the link to that marina. Then he says, really, if you've never dinged the, the canals of Venice, then for sure a return to the Adriatic is due. Anyway, I reached out to Vic, and I'm hoping to get him back on the podcast and catch up with him. It's been several years since I've talked to him, and he just responded to an email just today, and I haven't had a chance to read it yet. As you may have noticed, it's been a few weeks since I put out a podcast. I've decided I'm not going to um, 
hold myself to a schedule of one podcast a week when I have content that I think might be useful and entertaining. I'll put it out there. But I'm so busy trying to get the summer home built and (laughs) a lot of other things that I've decided this is uh, taking too much of my time and returning. Uh, Yeah, it gives me a return, but it's not a monetary return. Anyway, I do have a sign-up for the email, which will give you notices of any new podcasts that I put out. And I've changed it from eight free lessons for the ASA 101 series of audio lessons to five lessons. And the reason I did that is I just decided five lessons was enough to give you an introduction into sailing, learn the terminology, some of the basic maneuvers. And if you wanted the full course at that point in time, you could choose to pay for it. But uh, that's free if you want to sign up for the email list. Also, I may have some openings in the summer schedule this summer. Right now, if I'm looking at my schedule, I've got one opening for the put-in crew. And this is going to be somebody that that wants to work. I'm going to put roller furling on my staysail in the boatyard before I launch it. And uh, I've got other work to do in the boatyard, so I figure we'll have a couple days of work in the boatyard Uh, And then I've got to take the forward hatch off the boat, give it to a woodworker. He's going to rebuild it, and I figure he'll take about a week to do that. I'm having new sails delivered to the boat. They have to be fitted or at least tested on the boat. And um, you're welcome to stay on the boat. I usually stay in a little uh, hotel in Bodrum. It's about $25 a night, and it's just so hot on the boat, in the boatyard, that I'm willing to pay $25 for air conditioning so I can sleep well at night. But we're going to uh, rent a car and drive around and see some of the Greek ruins that are located in Turkey while we're waiting for glue to dry, basically. And then we'll launch the boat, and we will sail over to Kos, clear into customs in Greece, and work our way up from Kos to Kalminios first, and then to Liros, and then probably to the little island of Arki, and that crew will get off in uh, Patmos, and that would be, I'm sorry, that, that crew arrives on July 7th, that crew arrives on July 15th, that's when I fly into Istanbul and down to Bodrum, and that crew leaves on the 29th, so they've got basically half a month, uh, and half of that's going to be on the boat and half of that's going to be in the boatyard and driving around and seeing the sights. Uh, so if you're interested in that, drop me an email, and I will. I may, I may have it filled up. I've got one person that's already committed and bought his airplane ticket, so I'm, I, I'm looking for one more, and I put that invitation out to a couple other people already, but I haven't had any takers yet. I re- remember, this is going to be a work crew. So if you're not you're not willing to do work and work on a boat, don't send an email on it. The next crew I may have, Neil Fletcher's my one crew member on that one. Neil's a great guy. I met him by exactly this way, by talking about it on my podcast, and he and Jack Andrews joined me that year. So I've got possibly one opening. That crew position would arrive on July 31st. You would have to find your way to Patmos, the island of Patmos. And there's no airport, so you'll have to take ferries to get to Patmos. And then uh, that crew leaves on August 4th uh, out of Tinos, 
I'll either either Tinos or Mykonos. I haven't decided yet. But anyway, uh, and Tinos is very close to Mykonos. But anyway, the crew will leave on uh, the 4th of August. I know Neil plans on getting off my boat and going and sailing with Jack Andrews, who's, who will be in the area about that time. Other than that, there may be an opening from August 28th to September 3rd. Now, this is going to be for serious sailors because we're going to be sailing from Corfu out in the open Adriatic up to uh, Montenegro. So it'll probably, well, it's 164 miles, so it'll probably be a day and a half, I'm assuming 24 hours plus 12 hours uh, on that passage. And we're going north, and the prevailing winds are from the north, so... Uh, I've given us a lot of time for that passage because I'll be looking for a weather window. But we'll just work our way up through Montenegro. We'll clear in and bar. Uh, we'll clear out at Corfu. We'll clear in and bar in Montenegro and work our way up to Kator, uh, Montenegro. And the airport's fairly close to Kator, K-O-T-O-R. And that crew would depart on the September 3rd. So that crew has seven days on the boat uh, so if you are interested, you better write me an email. I may or may not respond. Give me a little bit of information about yourself. Like I say, I really don't care if people know how to sail as long as they have the right attitude and want to learn. I, I can sail the boat myself. It's just fun having people on board. I was hoping somebody would sign up on the uh, Patreon account at this level, but nobody has. And if somebody does, that would be the first people I invite if I have an opening this summer. And it, looks like I, and it looks like I probably will. I'm not sure. I've got a couple clients that are still considering it. And after that, I'll be looking for a crew. All right. Sign up for the email list if you would. Tell your family and friends about this podcast. And consider about becoming a supporter on Patreon. And now let's get on with my interview with David. I'm talking to David Baird. This is the first time I've really talked to him, but uh, I got an email from Jack Andrews that said he ran into you, David, uh, sailing, and that uh, you'd be an interesting person to talk to. We really haven't done much preparation ahead of time, so I'm going to learn about you while we're, while we're talking on the interview. But you met, uh, you met with Jack and Argostoli, but, but I, I want to ask you a couple questions. Tell me, tell me a little bit about yourself. What do you do for a living? How did you get into cruising? And uh, where did you sail this last summer? We'll go into it from there. Okay, sure. Well, um, I, I, uh, I have a management consulting business uh, to the Canadian government, which is great for sailing because uh, the, the – Canadian bureaucracy slows down in the summer, and uh, there's not as much pressure on the work side, so you can escape to go sailing a little easier. And um, we started, my wife and I uh, used to race uh, J24s competitively with a bunch of friends, and then we took off a few years to have kids, and then uh, I guess when our uh, youngest kid was about two, we bought a Tartan 40 in uh, Connecticut and brought it up to Lake Ontario, and after about a, uh, a year here with that, we had this crazy idea of uh, going to the Bahamas uh, down the, uh, down the uh, Erie Canal and into New York and through the Chesapeake and out and down the in and out the intercoastal to the Bahamas. Uh, 
And uh, that that plan came together with a few friends helping along the way and some family trip planning down there. And uh, that really got us the bug going. I mean, it's a uh, it is. Uh, I look back now as a, it was a pretty intense experience cutting the lines for the first time on a big cruising trip and uh, leaving uh, leaving Kingston, Ontario and heading out to. Uh, to uh, Oswego was uh, that was uh, that was the beginning of it all. But boy, it was the, it seems now to be a pretty uh, it seemed to be built up into a huge a huge uh, departure when we when we first left. That's for sure. And since then, we just uh, yeah, we just kept with it. Now, did you go out through uh, the Straits? Of, let's see, what's a big uh, strait that comes in there? The uh, the St. Lawrence River. Right, the St. Lawrence Seaway. Did you go out through the St. Lawrence Seaway? Well, we have done that, but uh, on those trips to the Bahamas, the quickest way from here is to go through uh, New York on the uh, Erie Canal. Okay, and, right. and uh, which is a is a great system. You can do it if you're really rushing in about three days, four days, uh, but it's about I think it's about thirty odd locks uh, that you lock up and down, and then you get into the top of the uh, of the uh, uh, Hudson River. And uh, then you put your mask back up, and, and you and you trek out to the ocean and uh, head south. All right. So you went right by Manhattan then. Right through, right through Manhattan. Yeah. yeah right through uh, Manhattan and past the Statue of Liberty, and uh, and then down along that New Jersey coast, and in in the Delaware Bay. That's the way we went in the Delaware Bay, and and then into the top of the Chesapeake. And we normally did that. We in the end. We did that three times, uh, up and back, uh, three years in a row. We hadn't intended to do that. We'd sort of originally intended just to do it once, but once you get the bug, the intercoastal waterway is actually a fantastic trip. Um, you do a lot of, mot- of motoring, for sure, uh, but you do get a few stretches offshore, which are you know you take when the weather's good. But uh, there's so many interesting places to stop and anchor and towns along the way that uh, – I always recommend that to people who have a have a boat that has a mast under sixty five feet and and don't have a too deep a keel. It's a pretty great. It's a great trip. Easy, now, easy trip. Now you told me, but I it escapes me. How far down did you get on the intercoastal waterway? Did you get all the way to Florida? Yeah, so we go all the way down to Fort Pierce, okay. uh, Fort Pierce Inlet, and then we we go out that Fort Pierce Inlet and across onto the Bahama Bank. And then we we ended up always staying in the Abacos, uh, in uh, northern uh, the northern Bahamas. It was uh, it just uh, we had some fan. My parents were there often in the winter, and uh, we had friends easy to come and go. And and uh, so we wouldn't stay for the whole winter. We'd come back to Canada and work, uh, but we'd go down for Christmas holidays, and then we'd go down for a month in March, and then we'd turn around and, and sail back home. Oh, so you left it down there and, and went back and forth quite a bit then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we were at that point, uh, well, like we are now, we're, we're still working. Uh, so we, we sort of used to do stretches of a month uh, a month at a time if we could. All right. Now, where yeah. in the Bahamas did you leave your boat? Was it in the water or did you take it out when you left? Uh, we left it at, uh, it was uh, Treasure Key uh, Marina, which is, uh, which is, about halfway down the island, it's it's a great marina, pretty protected. But we never left it there during hurricane season. Uh, there are a couple of good places to leave your boat in the Bahamas or in the Abacos in, for hurricane season. Green Turtle Key has a really really good one uh, where they I think they might even strap the boats down. Um, but it's uh, 
we always took our boat back north again to get it out for hurricane season. So we were, uh, and we and we take it back up to Lake Ontario. About two out of the three years, we went all the way back to Lake Ontario. How and, how long does it take you to get all the way back? I mean, you know, you're you're probably putting the pedal to the metal when you're doing that. So about how long does that take you? On the way, uh, the way down is slower because uh, the weather's worse and you can't go offshore for as long. So we uh, we probably on the way down, we took about a week to get from Lake Ontario to. Uh, Chesapeake Bay, and then we leave the boat and go home again, and then we come back. And to get from the top of Chesapeake Bay to Treasure Key was about about sixteen days. I think we normally did it in about sixteen, seventeen days, um, and that was pressing pretty hard. You know, we we get up at dawn and motor along and do our things, but not too many overnights. And then on the way back, you could basically you'd leave uh, Great Sail Key, which is a which is a really popular stopover place. Uh, on the Bahama Bank, and you'd sail out the Bahama Bank and into the Gulf Stream. And once we went all the way up to uh, Beaufort, uh, North Carolina, and the other two times we went, we went into Charleston. And those were, I think we did the fastest we went to Charleston was about 50 hours. So it's not that bad because you're out in the Gulf Stream and you're bombing along. Uh, it's, uh, it was, uh, the year that we did that was quite a, it was almost like a, a, uh, a, a an unorganized rally because Great Sail Key, the weather had been kind of windy for a few days, so boats were piling up there. And the forecast from uh, we we didn't get it. We were just using a using a local uh, the NOAA forecast, but everybody listened to Chris Parker in the morning uh, on his uh, Caribbean broadcast, and he basically said you sh- they should go. And the entire anchorage basically emptied uh, in about uh, an hour. And you could sort of, we, we'd gone, we were probably one of the first boats out. And if you look behind you, you felt like you were being chased down by a fleet of about, of about 50 boats. All right, hold, hold on. So, so who was that that told you this? Because I used to listen to, and I've t- said this on lots of podcasts, Herb Hildebrand, South Bend 2, but he's retired. Now, who was this that gave you the weather information? Well, he, we weren't getting it, but other people were getting it from Chris Parker. Okay. He's a, he does the, he, he's a very well-known guy uh, in the deep Caribbean. I think he's based, but he provides a, a weather service for, for the Bahamas and, uh, and South. Okay. So that's a paid service then, right? I think it's a pay. I think you, you can listen to him on the uh, single sideband, or if you want to ask him specific routing questions, you pay him. Okay. All right. Yeah. So that was, uh, that that I think is the deal with Chris Parker, but he's uh, I think he's still in business. I think he's still doing it. All right, all right. Yeah, I don't mind sure. listening. That's that's how I got across the Atlantic when I sailed across was listening to Herb Hildebrand because I didn't have my antenna tuned to be able to transmit on the uh, single side bad frequencies for the marine the marine band. I had it tuned to the ham bands, so I was, uh-huh. but I could listen, so I couldn't, but I couldn't uh, transmit. All right. So now let's. Uh, so you've been sailing up and down the East Coast. So we did that for three years, and then uh, we decided uh, uh, our kids were getting too old to kind of take off in the middle of the school year, like we were doing. So we decided we'd we'd have a big summer holiday, and we took our boat from Lake Ontario out out the St. Lawrence River, so through Montreal, Quebec City, around the Gaspé Peninsula, and in around Prince Edward Island, and uh, to uh, the Bedore Lakes, which are a, quite a beautiful uh cruising ground in on the east coast a lot of uh, people from the u.s come up there uh in the summer and it's uh it's basically probably as far east as you can get in nova scotia 
And so we did that one year. And then the next year we went and cruised uh, the south coast of Newfoundland, which is uh, was uh, beautiful, ruggedly beautiful. I, I grew up in St. John's uh, in the capital of Newfoundland, uh, the province of Newfoundland. And um, but I'd never been to this part of the province. And it, it is it is spectacular cruising, but it's cold. It's cold. And even in uh, July, it's, uh, you know, you're wearing a toque and uh, if you go swimming in a pond, it's even that's pretty cold. So uh, we did that for a year. Then we went the next year, we went to the Magdalens, which are another set of islands off of uh, Prince Edward Island. And they're spectacular, uh, spectacular as well. All that East Coast uh, cruising is, is spectacular. Uh, so we uh, we did that. And that was all in this in this Tartan 40. And we were on our way home from uh, the Magdalens. We got uh, waylaid in a, by uh, some bad weather in this uh, in this town called Dingwall, and uh, the weather was uh, terrible. God, it was raining and cold. We were with our toques on, and we were talking about, you know, we have got to get out of here. This is this weather is just going to put us in a mental institution. So we um, and we'd been talking about getting a bit bigger boat, and uh, we were. I, I have a bit of a tendency to look at yacht world com a little bit too much <laughs> and we knew that uh that there was a, a saber 45 for sale in uh in uh israel and so uh i sent an email to the to the broker and said ah you know we might be interested the price was right and um he got back to us and said oh yeah owner really wants to sell uh make us an offer so we uh we ended up making an offer and um, and buy ended up buying this boat in Israel, and that's how we got to the Med. So we sold our tartan to somebody in Nova Scotia, and we uh, we bought this boat in uh, in a place called Herzliya, which is north of Tel Aviv by you know 10, 10 20 miles, big marina in Israel, and uh, and that's where we started our Med cruising from. Right. But on a on a new boat, yeah, we we didn't we didn't bother to sail across the Atlantic. Too much work. So, Dave, what kind of boat was it you said you bought? Uh, it was a Sabre 452. Uh, that's a boat that's built in Maine uh, in, uh, on the east coast of the U.S. Uh, very limited production run. I think they uh, they made about 30 plus or minus a couple, uh, and uh, I think we had hull 15. And so that boat had ended up in Israel when the owner had uh, had sailed it from, from – uh, uh, Connecticut, where they were living, to the Caribbean for a year, and then they shipped it to the Med and had moved to Israel, and so they brought the boat over there with them, and uh, they'd been sailing around a little bit of Turkey and and Greece, I think, but uh, mainly they were uh, they were using the boat sort of around uh, the coast of Israel, which is really more at most of a day sailing, I would say. Yeah, and there's not the, much off the coast of Israel to sail to. I mean, yeah. No. No, there's not not too many places you can go. No, I, uh, so I think they were kind of day sailing it for a few years, and then uh, we were lucky enough to uh, to pick it up from them, uh, and it was a uh, it's, it was a it's a great boat. So we uh, we uh, sailed it out of uh, Israel, and that was we bought it in the end of 2011, and so in 2012, May 2012, we sailed from Israel up to Cyprus uh, into. Uh, um, What's the main uh, port in Cyprus uh, on the Greek side? I've oh. never, I've never been to Cyprus, so I'm, I'm I've looked uh, at the charts, but I've never been there. Yeah, so it, it was Larnaca. Uh, okay. Larnaca was of the main town, and so we uh, went there, spent a couple of days, and we, 
sort of stopped. There are not too many anchorages along the south coast of Cyprus. Uh, we went to Limassol, and then we went to uh, Paphos, I think it's called Paphos, at the very end of Cyprus. And then we jumped up and went up into uh, Turkey. Uh, we actually went to Greece first, to Castle Horizon, which is the last Greek island on the, uh, on the east side of uh, the Greek, uh, Greek territory. And it's very close to Kash, K-A-S, uh, in Turkey. Uh, have you been down that way? I have. I haven't been to that island though. That's uh, let me let me zoom in on it and see exactly where it is. Yeah, Castle Horizon. So it's right by uh, Kash, sort of you know down the coast from. Uh, yeah, from... And, I, and I think in Turkey it's, it's pronounced Kosh, By the way, see. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So there's Rhodes. So it's going to be a little bit south of Rhodes, huh? Well, it's more. I would say east. Oh yeah, yeah. I take it back. I've been. I actually have been to that island. It's really close. It's really, really close to, uh, to Kosh. And there's a. And I've actually been over there. I don't think I ever cleared in, so I'm, I'm, I'm outing myself. But there's a blue cave that you can swim into right there, uh, on that. Uh, uh, on that island that somebody told me about, but you have to—it's too deep to anchor. You can uh, you can uh, you have somebody on the boat r- roll around while while you, you jump in the water and swim into this cave. So yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful part. Of, that's a that's a beautiful uh, uh, gem of an island. Uh, both the castle and then of course all that whole tur- Turkish coast is spectacular. And so we uh, we left there and went up to uh, Marmaris. Mm-hmm. Uh, left the boat there for a month and then we came back and had our first summer so that was 2012 and we basically have sort of followed the same pattern we sort of uh we in so the summer 2012 we did a bit of a trip around turkey for that go check bay and and up to bodrum and then we did a bit of a loop up uh through the dodecanese and over to uh the cyclades and then back again to marmaris that was the first year left the boat for the winter in marmaris then we did almost the same thing again. I think we went a little further afield. Now, which in, which uh, which marina did you leave it in in Marmaris? Uh, Marmaris Yacht Marine. Is that the one so, way down south at the south end of the bay there? That's the one on the peninsula. Okay. Uh, way out at the end. It's the big, it's the big, big, big one. Yeah. Okay. Yep. It's, uh, it's absolutely uh, a going concern. Uh, quite the place. And uh, so many boats coming and going into that uh, in, in there, especially in uh, uh, in May when we, when you go back to put your boat in. I mean, they basically they when you take your boat out, they say, well, what day do you coming back? And then they stack the boats based on your on your uh, planned uh, uh, launch date. And it's uh, it is like a, uh, uh, queuing up at a trying to get into a really popular bar. Uh, <laughs> it uh, get back into the water. So it's uh, it's quite the place. Yeah, I've been into that marina. I've never wintered there yet. Uh, I've always gone back up to Bodrum, up to Yacht Lift in Bodrum to, to winter. So, but I've never oh, I've okay. been into that marina. Yeah, well, it's uh, we had some you know good guys who look you know basically did all the projects on the boat, and made sure everything got fixed, and uh, and did varnish work and and things like that. And uh, yeah, it was it was great. It was great. It did turn out though. So we left there. That was so we did thir- uh, winter of 13 and 13 14 in, in Marmaris. And then the next year we knew we wanted to go up to Corfu. So we, uh, we went across to, uh, or sorry, up to Croatia. So we, we took the boat up to Corfu uh, for, the, uh, for the next two winters. 
and we basically uh, we use that as a staging place to go up to Croatia for, I guess, the summer of fifteen. Mm-hmm. And we wintered again and went wintered again in Corfu, and then uh, that was sixteen, and then no sixteen. We then came back to the to the Cyclades, and we went up to uh, to the northern Sporades, and uh, and then we brought the boat back. Uh, just from time point of view, we should have probably gone all the way back to Corfu, but we ended up leaving the boat on Egana, which is just off of uh, off of Athens. Yeah, um, there's a boatyard on the north side of Egina. I call it Egina, but Egana is the same. Uh, is that where you left the boat? Yeah, yeah, we left it at uh, Planico Boatyard. Okay, yeah. it's pretty exposed, as I recall. It was pretty exposed to, on the north end of the island. Is that? Uh, I think that's the only boatyard I saw there. Yeah, it's pretty exposed, but, you know, they've got a boat lift system that works pretty well, and they just, you know, they whip you out between the waves. All right, uh, all right. On- so so you stayed in Athens for a couple of years. Did you have to deal with VAT? Did they even ask you about VAT? You know what? We never had a problem with VAT because we were always going to uh, non-VAT countries pretty regularly. So we were in Turkey, or we went to, uh, when we went up to Croatia, we went to Albania, which was fantastic. Highly recommend Albania to anybody who's, traveling that way and uh then we went to uh uh most recently albania the other thing is is and i'm not sure if people are are doing this i've heard it's it's a bit it's not popular to do or it's not allowed to be done in in france and spain but in greece you can still once the boat's out of the water and you get a letter from the marina office you can walk on down to the customs office in town and give them your transit log and they will hold it and everything goes into abeyance for the whole period that you're out of the water. Now, I did this one time, and then when I left uh, from Kos, I got hit with a 600 or 800 euro fine for uh, taxes that I didn't have, that I'd never heard of. Were you hit with anything like that? Never heard of anything like that, no. What year was that? Hmm. It was probably about 90, 1990. Oh, God, well, things have changed. 12 times since then <laughs> i mean geez it's a it's like you can't keep track of what rules actually in effect but you found greece pretty it's cruiser crazy. friendly and you didn't have any problem leaving your boat then that's that's what i'm getting from you which is news to me and that's great news to hear oh i we've had never had any problems uh in any problems in greece ever we did have a very funny incident in uh, turkey where uh we left marmaris and the, 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 the yacht agent, when he gave me my papers back, said I had to come back and get a stamp from him. Um, and I don't know what I was thinking, but I just didn't think very, take it very seriously. So I, we left, and we never went back to him the next time we were in town, uh, in Marmaris. And we went off sailing, and then we went up to Bo- – we were in Bodrum and went to check out. And I'm, I'm a Canadian, so I'm cheap, fundamentally. I, I like to do these things myself torture myself by walking around town i'm not about to pay an agent when i can i can get sunstroke um so i went to the the, the port to check out and the guy looked at my papers he says well you don't have an exit stamp for uh, marmaris and so you can't leave here i was like well i don't know why i don't know why i don't have an exit stamp for marmaris but uh, you know surely it, i'm here now it doesn't make any difference and i'm leaving to go to to uh to um cost now anyway in greece so who cares just you know surely it's not that big a deal surely there's somebody who could sort it out in the office here and they would not they insisted that i had to get this stamp from marmaris 
So I called the agent, and he was furious that I hadn't come and gotten this stamp from him. <laughs> and and they were insistent that I that I have the stamp. So I uh, what I did was I uh, I rented a car, and I got in the car and I drove down there uh, at breakneck speed and got the gave it to him. He went and got it stamped, uh, and I got back in the car and drove back to uh, to Bodrum. And then I did hire an agent. The agent just got a stamp, and then off I went. Okay. Yeah, I've yeah. always hired a, a, an agent in Bodrum because it's so hectic there, and I just don't feel like dealing with the crowds. Every time I've cleared in and cleared out of Bodrum, I just hire an agent. And, yeah, it cost me 100 bucks or, or thereabouts, but it's just the headache of, of running around and the language problems is, is, a, is, is, is a problem. Now, Greece is becoming easier to check in and out of, and Turkey's becoming worse. So... Oh, uh, uh, Greece is fantastic. I mean, I really, I've never had any problem with Greece. I mean, it, uh, you know, there was a bit of, uh, a bit of confusion. There's always a bit of confusion about the transit log and, you know, being a Canadian boat and, uh, you know, it's a bit off the the beaten track, but it's never been a problem. Never been a problem. And, uh, even when we checked in in Agrostoli with, uh, so, so anyway, to make the long story short is we ended up. Uh, with the boat that we had, this Sabre 40, 452. It's, it, we, it spent the winter on Agana, and, and then now a friend is sailing it, trying to keep the thing from seizing up. And we ended up buying a new boat, another boat, not a new boat, another boat to us in uh, Palma de Mallorca. Uh, in uh, in uh, January, February, we bought a new boat. What kind? So, oh, my God. Well, that's... Uh, we got we, we we went a little overboard in the end. We ended up buying a sixty-three uh, foot Dixon, which is a um, is a big boat. When you go from forty-five to sixty-three, <laughs> you like to pay marina fees, don't you? It's uh, it is definitely uh, a bit of going to be a bit of a, a shock to the system. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is, but uh, it uh, it's a beautiful boat. It's it, it looks it's a bit like an oyster uh, custom boat built in uh, in uh, New Zealand, and uh, it was built for a British guy that that liked the Oyster sixty two, but wanted to make some changes. And uh, I guess the price of the of the New Zealand dollar was such that he could get it done for about the same price as a new Oyster. So that's what he did, and. Uh, uh, it was built in 2002, so it's relatively new, and yeah, it's a, it, it was a great uh, a great find for us. So we're pretty <laughs> pleased about that. But we 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 had not been looking for a 63 foot boat. We were kind of looking for a 55 foot boat uh, to sort of accommodate all our grown our teen our now 18 and and 15 year old kids and all their friends because we have a when you are in Canada in the middle of the winter and you've had three rums and you start talking about sailing and tell somebody you have a boat in the med when you wake up with a small hangover in the morning they uh they phone you up and say hey i booked my tickets i can't wait to come and see you and so we have a a slew of friends coming to visit us every year family and friends so what's the name of the boat uh the new boat is called uh dulcinea ah there's a youtube video on it Dixon yes. 63 Dulcinea Yacht for Sale, but it's, now it says off-market, so that's I'll look at the video. Yeah, it's, a, it's exactly. Well, you look at the video and you'll go, this guy's mad. Well, <laughs> like that. 
Yeah. Anyway, where our friends will be happy. They won't be. They won't have to sleep on top of each other anymore. So yeah, that's a. Uh, so that's our new. Uh, I guess our new ride. You're. You can. You can. Uh, see this. See the five minute promotional tour. All right, I'll take a look at it. Put a link to the boat or to the sh- in the show notes probably, so other people can take a look at your luxury yacht there. Yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, so so now, it, when did you buy this? Was this a couple of years ago or this year? You know that we just bought it. We just we just ah. took delivery of it. Uh, so we we closed the deal in in end of January, and uh, I went back from the survey to Mallorca, and then. Uh, after the after the actual thing closed, I we I went back with four of my my handiest friends, and we uh, jumped on board, and then we sailed from uh, there. We left I think April fifteenth. We went from uh, Palma out to an island called uh, La Cabrera, uh, which is a national park. Have you been Have you been to Mallorca? I've been to Mallorca, yeah. So La Cabrera, that's the national park islands that are sort of off the southeast corner of uh, of Mallorca. I'm, gonna, I'm zooming in on it right now. The southwest corner of Mallorca. Yes. Yeah. They're off. They're probably. Oh yeah. I've never been to those islands. Okay. So that's those are a group of islands I've missed. Yeah. So there's a, there's one big anchorage there. You have to uh, you have to book online and get a permit online. Relatively painless. I think it costs 25 euros or something. And uh, and and rent a mooring buoy. And even in April, uh, the anchorage was pretty full uh, of picking up the uh, mooring buoys. Which you can—I don't think you're allowed to anchor. And then, uh, so we start. We we sailed out there one uh, the first afternoon, and then the next morning we got up and we headed to uh, Bizerte, Tunisia, uh, because we needed to restart our back clock. Uh, ah, so we, okay, all right. So we trundled out the uh, to uh, Bizerte, which turned out to be a great a great thing for many reasons. One is that uh, our original plan was to go north, sort of. To Menorca and then Sardinia and across the top of Sicily, but for the sort of two weeks that we were on the go, uh, the wind was raging up there. Uh, it was just absolutely howling out the uh, the blowing out the Alps and down through the gaps between the, all the islands. And while it was windy where we were, it was it was probably blowing twenty five, maybe thirty, uh, um, basically on the stern. Um, up there, I think it was blowing. You know, it was a force eight. Most mm. most of the time, and uh, so we were south enough not to have all that. Um, it was still a little rough, uh, especially for a first sail on a big boat. You don't know. So, uh, so did you head over to Sardinia first, or did you head straight to, to Tunis? We went straight to uh, to Bizerte. Bizerte, okay. So that's to that's to the west of Tunisia, along the coast. Um, it's a pretty big town. It's got a big lake behind it. You can see the lake on the if you're on Google Earth, it makes it easy to zoom in on. Uh, it's got a big inland lake. Okay, and, yeah, I see it. And they yeah. actually just built a new marina there, a uh, huge marina, which you can also see on the on Google uh, Google Earth. Uh, and uh, it's basically still empty, uh, and it's just really getting off the ground right now. And because also, I think there were some slowdowns with. Uh, the uh, internal problems they were having there kind of kept tourists and boaters away for a couple of years. So, uh, but it, there was a few people there when we were there, and uh, Bizerte was a nice town. We hadn't, we had no issues at all. I actually, I actually wrote, I just recently wrote a little post to uh, the noon 
uh, noonsite.com, uh, which is the World Cruising Club's website, mm-hmm. on, on, the, on going to Bizerte. Because I, 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 it worked out very well for us. And if you're going, if you're going east towards Greece, you can, you're basically, it's almost right in the line. You're hardly going out of your way at all. Yeah, it looks like they've got a little bit. Of, they've got an area that they may be putting hard standing or shops along. The, it looks like it's pretty new, and there's a lot of vacant land on shore right now. That I don't know what they're going to do that with, with that. Well, I think the plan was it was supposed to be a big development. You know, there's going to be yeah. shops and condos, and you can see there's a hotel that, that's sort of semi is just starting to be finished at the very end of the marina, uh, and uh, it's all behind. You know, like a lot of these big developments, but the marina is ready to go. Like, and it's open. You know, the clubhouse had beautiful showers, and there was somebody there to take your money and and cash your lines and all that kind of stuff. So it's uh, yeah, it was it was it, it's a going concern. So talk about the clearance into Tunisia. Was that difficult? Easy? Straightforward? How, how did you feel safe? What were the prices in the marina like? You're the first person I've talked to uh, on this podcast that's been to Tunisia. So you're you're a font of knowledge. Well, I guess uh, Tunisia was, uh, you know, again, we weren't too concerned about uh, safety issues, really just in general, uh, because, you know, it's uh, any problems they've had. I mean, they've, they've been a major resort, so I wasn't really, uh, we weren't really concerned about that. This is pretty a little bit off the beaten track. Um, we sailed in, uh, there were some it, it was pretty windy on our way in there. We had some gusts coming off the hills as well, uh, but uh, the harbor is very well marked. It's a big harbor. They bring in big ships in there, uh, fuel ship um, tankers and and other things. So uh, it's a pretty big harbor uh, entrance, uh, well protected. And uh, we uh, we tied up on a big uh, one of these big new piers, and it was it was very uh, it was it was good, very good. Power, water, everything. And uh, co- uh, the, uh, the customs guys came uh, to immigration and a, and a customs guy. We filled out some forms and stuff. For, they took our passports away and uh, ran them through their computers, came back, and we, uh, we got a form for the, the boat. There was a little bit of dance about showing appreciation, uh, but uh, we, uh, we offered them some uh, maple syrup, like good Canadians. <laughs> and... Uh, we topped that off off with a couple of chocolate bars, and uh, everybody was happy. So uh, I think everybody has to find their own way through that little dance. Uh, but uh, it's certainly it's certainly not something you're required to do. But uh, we were we were happy to, and appreciative of their services. So, now, now, was there a fee for clearing in? Nope, nothing. Didn't so pay no, any money. no cruising fee or anything like that. Just just clear customs and okay. Yeah, cleared customs like uh, yeah, just like uh, going into. Uh, into Greece, all of Greece, I think we paid fifteen dollars for this and a few bucks for that. So had to get a cruising permit, but nope, there was no visas, no uh, nothing, no no issues at all. And that compares to one of the things because we we knew we needed to get out of the EU just to get things restarted again in our ownership. Uh, we talked about going to uh, J Algeria, which is B E J A I. AI, I think it's the name of it. It's uh, it's almost due south of Palma. Now uh, maybe maybe a little bit to the east, and it's a big commercial port. We talked to a broker there, and uh, we didn't need to get visas, which for Canadians are quite expensive. I think it was like three hundred dollars each to get a visa if we wanted to go there. Uh, so that's expensive. 
but we could go there without getting a visa, but the port agent wanted 900 euros to process us. So uh, that was pretty expensive. Now, I understand a number of people do go from Palma down there to restart their clock because you can get cheap fuel as well. Uh, so, you know, kind of probably balances itself out. But since we were, we hardly burned any fuel on our trip because it was so windy right from the stern. We were sailing, sailing almost uh, every hour we were out there. Uh, it, yeah, it, it, Tunisia was just a great stop. Great stop. Did you, do, uh, did, did you rent a car and drive around while you were there? Because they've got lots of ruins there. Uh, yeah, you know, we, we didn't. Um, we, we did walk around, uh, the town quite a bit and we did some shopping and, uh, they have a Carrefour and a big, you know, Monoprix, uh, lots of French, uh, pastry shops and stuff like that. So, uh, we went out to dinner there, uh, at night again, felt very safe. The Marina was safe. They had a, they had a, a guard at the gate and, uh, somebody wandered around at night. And so, uh, absolutely would, would recommend it for sure. And it's called, so it's Marina Bizarte. Okay, yeah, I've got it here, and uh, I'd never heard of that before, so that's great information. Appreciate it. Uh, how, yeah. how long did you stay, and where was your next stop after that? Okay, so we stayed there uh, just a couple of nights, and uh, then we uh, headed from there to uh, Pantelleria. Uh, can you see that uh, island is sort of, it's in between Sicily and uh, the top of Tunisia. It's about a hundred and... 20 miles from uh, Bizerte down there. Uh, beautiful sail. We were. It was a beautiful day, and we, uh, we just clocked down there. Our only real issue was that coming out of Bizerte, we almost hit a fishing net uh, in the water, you know, basically a uh, uh, surface net with mm. uh, black boys running. We dodged that, uh, luckily, right at the last minute, and uh, I'm sure we probably would have just gone right over it, but... Uh, it made us a little more vigilant for a while, but but we didn't see anything else again, nothing else. And that was right in the Bizerte Bay. So did you have to clear in to, uh, to uh, Pantelleria? Okay, well, that's an interesting story. So we ended up uh, trying to go into the main harbor. We did go into the main harbor, uh, which, if you're looking at the island, is on the north northwest uh, end. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a pretty decent harbor. A big ferry can get in there, and then they've got another another spot where uh, small bo- smaller boats tie up. Now we had only, this had been our, this was our second time in a harbor with this new big boat. And we were, I was feeling a bit tentative to try to squeeze into somewhere that I didn't really know how deep it was. And it was all a bit. And the other problem was, is the waves were really still rolling in there quite badly because the wind was, was still blowing 25 knots from the, uh, from sort of almost into the, the harbor mouth. So we did go in, it was no problem to get in, but then we, decided it really wasn't a great place to stay. So I had seen on the map, if you look on the south side, about uh, five miles further down on the south coast, uh, there's a, a smaller harbor, uh, which they call a sort of a, it's the alternative place for the ferry to go when there are winter storms from the north. And so uh, I read online that it was smaller and tough to get into, but we, we figured we couldn't stay in the main harbor. So we went there uh, and uh it turned out to be quite big, especially in April. There wasn't a boat around, and we just uh, whipped around the corner and tied up to the main pier, and uh, we ended up staying there for two nights. And uh, people did tour around the island and went to a great restaurant, and uh, uh, it was good, really good uh, stop. But uh, on the on the customs and immigration side, we had been talking to the Coast Guard about where we should tie up when we were in the main harbor, 
And then when we left and went down to the secondary harbor, uh, we called them again and said, hey, we're here. What do we do to check in? And they said, ah, ah don't worry about it. I love and the so Italians. We, I love their attitude towards <laughs> officialdom. Is that Scaris Harbor, S-C-A-U-R-I-S Harbor? Is that the one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Scaris. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so that was great, a uh, great stop uh, when the wind was blowing from the north. Uh, so we, uh, yeah, we had a, we had a couple of nice nights there and, uh, then we left from there early one morning, uh, the next, or the morning we left there very early, about probably in the dark, we actually pulled out of there just as the, just as the sun was about to crack out, uh, uh, crack a light was coming up and we headed to Gozo in Malta. Mm-hmm. Have you been to Magar, M-G-A-R-R? I've been to Gozo. I'm trying to I'll zoom in and see if that's the place I went to. We went to, we yep. sailed from uh, the main town, of, main island of Malta to Gozo. But I think there's another port on the north side. That's probably the one you're talking about. Oh, Magar. No, that's the one I went to. Yeah. 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 So it was, uh, it was fine. I mean, there's lots of ferries coming and going and that the port is nice enough, but it's, uh, you know, we weren't, we didn't have time to, I mean, we, people went up and walked around a couple of the people, boys went up and, and toured around the town, but, uh, it was pretty busy. Lots of cars coming and going and lots of activity. And I, I would say, uh, we left there and went into Valletta, into Mesida, M-S-I-D-A. Yeah. So you couldn't clear in at Magar, could you? What's that, sorry? Could you clear customs at Magar? I don't think you can, can you? Yes, you can now. Ah, okay. All right. Yes, you can. Yeah. So we, we cleared into customs there. Yeah. And uh, we did uh, we did our customs there. And then we went over to Valletta the next morning. Uh, you know, uh, so you skipped, a... you skipped the little island in between then, huh? Yeah, but you know that, even in April, that was a going concern as it was. There were tons of boats in there. And uh, it was a... It was a Saturday afternoon, so there were lots of people around. Did, did uh, you ever see the movie The Count of Monte Cristo? The new I, one? Yes, I think I might have. A lot of that was that filmed have, on uh, that little island. That was uh, where a lot of that was filmed, was in that little island there. In that oh, blue okay. lagoon. Yeah, anyway, continuing on, just side note there. Yeah, yeah, well, uh, everybody talked about that as a place to go. We did not stop there. Uh, but, uh, it's certainly, I think if the, if the weather had been a little bit warmer and swimming oriented, we might've, we might've put our nose in there, but, uh, it was still pretty cold. I mean, I would say that the whole trip from, uh, all the way from Malta to Gefalonia was, uh, was hats the whole time. It was, it was, it was very cold trip. Well, you're Should've... awfully early in the year. I mean, this is just last month. I mean, we're talking, right? Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was just last month. Exactly, we'd be uh, probably just about this time in uh, in uh, Valletta. Actually, I'd say exactly a month ago. Yeah, we so had we, we had snow in Salt Lake last week, so I mean, <laughs> it's pretty cold here too right now. Uh, well, uh, winter is lingering, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, so we uh, so uh, we went to Valletta. That was that was fantastic. I mean, you could see yourself spending a lot more time in uh, in Valletta. It, uh, it looked like it was, we, again, we were kind of pushing to get over to Greece. Uh, so we, we didn't spend more than, uh, two nights in, uh, Valletta. Uh, but, uh, it looked great. Really great. Yeah. Malta. I loved Malta. I wintered there one year on Mon- Manol Island and okay. uh, I really enjoyed Malta. 
Um, so yeah, you, you, you've been cutting yourself short all through here. I see, I see a lot of hours and time on the water and you're missing all these great spots. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, uh, I guess another time we'll get a chance to go back there, but the the real (laughs) objective was to get the boat to Greece. Uh, we had to get the, we had to get the heck out of Malta because we couldn't afford to leave the boat there any longer. It was going to, it was going to cost more to keep the boat there than we paid for it. (laughs) It is is so expensive. Oh my God. Malta, uh, or sorry, Palma, Palma. I think it might have said Malta, but Palma was so expensive. Oh, and yeah, fact, yeah. I didn't know that Malta has gotten that expensive, but I knew Palma was just atrocious in price. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sorry, I meant, I meant Palma. Yeah, Palma was uh, very expensive, very expensive. So that was, that's part of the reason why we went in April. Again, being cheap and Canadian, we figured, hey, how cold could it really be? <laughs> cold. <laughs> it turned out it was cold, yeah. <laughs> So you did a long haul from Malta straight to Kefalonia then. How long did that take you? A couple nights? Uh, that was, uh, oh my God, we had a, we, we went, we left earlier than we planned because uh, we, we knew that uh, the wind was going to shift to, uh, to the north uh, in exactly the direction we were going to go. So we, uh, we left and we had a beautiful uh, uh, close reach the wind did not change direction the entire trip or intensity. It was basically sort of 12, 12 to 15 knots right on the, on the close, close region. We barreled up there. I think we left at about one o'clock in the afternoon and we got into Catalonia at dawn two nights later, two days later. So it was under, it was probably about 40 hours, I guess. It was, it was not too bad. That sounds great. So you uh, went into the West coast to Argostolian then, huh? I've never taken yeah. my boat over there. I've always stayed. That's a, it's a long ways around, and there's not much on the south end or on the west side that I can see. So maybe you can correct me. Where Did, did you enjoy Argostoli? Argostoli was, was very nice. I mean, Argostoli is a big town. I mean, it's, Yeah, it's a it's huge town. Lots going on in there and uh, lots of, uh, like, if you need to get anything done, uh, or people uh, shopping, all that stuff is there. It's 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 a big it's a big big place, and and it's definitely the hub of activity. Um, it's a long way around though, and we'd never gone there either. Uh, we spent a month in the Ionian on our other boat, and uh, we never went in there prior. It, it was more just because it uh, we were picking up some people at the airport doing a crew change, so it made sense to go there, and and we were glad we did. But uh, it, it's definitely a bit a bit of a hassle to get all the way around there. Did you go to the marina just north of the town, out on the peninsula there? Oh, we just we just tied up on the in the town dock. Oh, okay, all right. So that's where we met uh, Jack and uh, Julia right there. They all were right. tied up in front. Yeah, so we were all there. There were hardly any boats around. Probably five or six. It was not. Uh, yeah, and so we uh, we met there. We stayed there for uh, four or five days, getting uh, doing a bit of maintenance, waiting for people to come and go, and. Uh, and uh, just recovering from t- uh, 10, 12 days of cold sailing because uh, the, the weather in Greece was, was really starting to warm up. And we had some beautiful weather uh, in, uh, in Greece. The next week, we basically took our time and went around and up to, uh, to Corfu. And we left the boat at, uh, in Guvia Marina in Corfu before we flew home uh, at, uh, on May 7th. We flew okay. back. 
Yeah, you've got a lot of miles you put under you in, in a short period of time. So, so from Argus from Argostoli, did you even go through the Ionian, or did you just go straight up? Oh yeah, no, no, we went to uh, we went to Ermoplia, uh, Yeah, I think it is Ermonia, Ammonia, on the other side uh, of Catalonia. So you got Ithaca. Uh, is that Ithaca you're talking about? No, no. There's a there's a little town, um, E R M I. O N I. Do you see that? Mm, no, I see uh, Evema. I see Sammy Bay. I see Sammy. And you see uh, Sammy? yeah, uh, we're Sammy. Uh, we we've never been into Sammy. Okay, uh, and then there's Pronus Bay, which I've been to, which is where you know where some ferries go in and out of. And uh, let go from if you go from Sammy. And you go up the shoreline, maybe five miles. Mm-hmm, yeah, uh, I, Fima, I think is how I pronounce it. But yeah, that's a neat little. I've been there, and that's a neat little harbor. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, we used that quite a bit last time we were there as well for for uh, people coming and going and our, and just stocking up. So we went there, and then we went up to Fiscardo. Okay, uh, got to go to Fiscardo which, with everybody else. So. Yeah, Fiscardo. It, well, at this time of year, is great because there's nobody there really. Okay. It's, uh, yeah, it was in in um, early May. It was it was it was easy to find a great great place to tie up and stuff. So we tied to the rocks, uh, but uh, even the dock was relatively empty. Opportunity to go in right in if you wanted to. Uh, and then we went from there up and just up to one of the uh, fingers on uh, Maganisi. Mm-hmm. Yep. Then we went up uh, from Maganisi. We went up to uh, the main harbor on uh, uh, Paxaway, uh, which is uh, Gaia. I guess mm-hmm. it is. So you went straight through the Lefkas Canal and then up to Paxi. Yep, yep. No problems. No problems getting the big boat through uh, the canal at all. So that was uh, really, I couldn't remember how wide the gap was, but uh, yeah, tons and tons of boats. Yeah, you tons had of plenty of room for that boat. Yeah, yeah. And then. We got the big boat in, right into the main dock at uh, uh, in Gaia as well, so that was that was good. And we went from Gaia up to the Corfu Sailing Club, or what do they call it now, Mandrake Harbor, right at the base of uh, of the old fort in, in uh, Corfu. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. There's not much room in there, though. Uh, yeah, well, I guess uh, they have a few spaces for for bigger boats uh, along the wall. Uh, by the clubhouse. Okay, all right. So it wasn't uh, it wasn't too hard to get in there. I was surprised. I we thought we'd be having to move up, go up to Guvia or somewhere else, but uh, yeah, we got in there. That was that was a, that's such a beautiful place. Yeah, I've spent one or two nights there, and you've got that big big fortress right over the top of you. I know it's spectacular. Yeah, yeah. You can walk right out of the right out of that big old fortress into right into the heart of uh, of Corfu, old Corfu town. Yeah. And, all those marble streets and stuff. It's, it's pretty spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then we went up to Guvia and so we're leaving our boat in Guvia for a, a year. That's our plan. So in the water, or out of the water, do you always, I always like to take my boat out. What are you, what's your thoughts on that? Oh, well, I love taking my boat out. I would prefer to take the boat out. And, uh, the problem at Guvia, this is, is, uh, is Guvia doesn't have a lot of land space. Mm. And so they're they're willing to have you come out for three or four months, but they don't want you out for the whole winter. So we're trying to figure out figure out that at the moment. Um, not sure what to do about that. 
Pervisa would have been the place to go if you wanted to take your boat out of the water. For the whole year? Yeah, yeah. you think that? They've, they've got the uh, Cleopatra Marina in Previsa has a big, big yard. So that would be something for a future reference. Yeah, I guess there was one thing that we could have gone down to uh, to uh, Lefkis as well. Uh, supposedly the Lefkis Marina, which is also owned by the same group that owns Guvia, has space as well. So we may do that still. We're not quite... That hasn't quite been sorted out, but uh, I, we certainly like to take boat out. Rather take it out than leave it in. But yeah, we do so, have some. So when are you heading back? So when are you heading back again? Uh, we're going back June eighteenth. Okay. Uh, and we'll be there till uh, August twentieth. So we got two good months. Okay, June eighteenth to August twentieth. Yep. We our paths may cross. Look for a Bristol Channel cutter along the way. I will. I will. I saw a picture of your boat. Uh, it's a beautiful boat. Uh, uh, that's a. How long did it take you to cross the Atlantic? Oh, 30 days. It, you know, everybody takes about 30 days. I always figured 100 miles a day, and that's about what I ended up with. But one time when we got in the Gulf Stream, I was going to tell tell you this. You know, we I saw the 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 GPS show me going 18 knots. Or was it 18 knots? It was something like that. And my friend made the comment, "I don't care how high you, they drop your boat from; it'll never go that fast." <laughs> but with... <laughs> yeah, the Gulf Stream is a great is a great uh, boost. But boy, when it when it gets nasty in the Gulf Stream, you you realize why there's a Bermuda Triangle. That's right. Uh, that's right. Jeez, the the, the waves in the in the Gulf Stream uh, on those trips coming back from the Bahamas are pretty confused. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, this is great. You've we've talked about fifty minutes. This is a great story. Let's uh, let's touch base at the end of the summer and get another update on your your adventures. How does that sound, Dave? That sounds fantastic. Yeah, we'll uh, and hopefully we'll have a chance to uh, have a run or two uh, along the way this summer. If All right. In the, in, we're 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 really not going far this summer. We're we're basically going to be between Corfu and uh, and Zakynthos up and down. All right. Okay. So I'm going to pull out my. I just had my schedule open. And uh, so you leave on August 20th then, huh? I don't, uh, we're going home on August 20th, yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to be missing you because I won't be uh, – I'll be in Poros. Um, okay, I won't get to uh, – so on August 18th, I'll be uh, in Patra. So I'm going to be way south on August 7th, and then I change crew on August 20th. In Patra, so I, I don't think I'll be up in your area by oh, that okay. time. That's so, yep. uh, I think Jack is going to be back there. He he told me he's going back there for most of the summer as well. Yeah, I, I think we'll catch up with him because uh, my other friend Neil, who I met with Jack when they both sailed with me, uh, Neil's going to get off my boat and get on Jack's boat. He's going to get off my little boat and get on Jack's big boat. So that's what he plans on doing. Yeah, well, it uh, it's. Uh... It's great all these people you meet sailing around. It's uh, it's it's one of the great pleasures of it all. It is. Well, thanks a lot. Let's keep in touch, okay? Okay, thank you. Thanks. Nice. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening. Consider becoming a supporter on Patreon. So that website is patreon.com backslash medsailor. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com backslash medsailor. I'd appreciate it if you'd sign up for the email list. And if you have any friends that might be interested in this podcast, let them know about it. And the last request is if you like the podcast, 
please write a review of it in the podcast directory where you found the podcast. iTunes is the one it's most popular, but wherever you found the podcast, that's great. Thank you for listening. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing.